the book of Habakkuk, please. Just one verse from here. Just one verse. Chapter 2 and verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and will set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I Um, reproved. Let's pray. Father, speak to every one of us. May we all be set, as it were, this very evening, standing upon a watch, set upon a tower. May we watch to see what you will say to us. May you watch how we will answer you in return. Glorify your name. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your anointing in our midst. Glorify your Son. We ask it in his name. Amen. I will stand upon my watch. I will set me upon my tower. And I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. I want to speak this evening on watch out. Watch out. Habakkuk says, I will watch to see. The term here, I will watch to see, means to look out in order to view, to look out in order to observe, or to keep watch as a watchman does. It also gives the idea to lean in, to incline, or to bend forward to see better, to see clearer. Habakkuk says, I will stand upon my watch. I will set me upon my tower. And I will watch to see what he will say unto me. As a watchman looked out across the land looking for danger, looking for incoming traffic, looking for maybe some stranger coming, whether they're friend or foe, Habakkuk himself says, I will incline myself, I will look out, and I'll watch to see what he'll say to me. In other words, he says, I will pay attention to you, Lord. I'll pay so close attention, Lord. My ears are pricked up. My heart is open. And Lord, I am ready to hear your word. And I'm ready to hear what you will say to me. But also notice what he says. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. In other words, he says, I'll also watch out how I speak back and return to him. I'll also watch out what I'll say to him after what I hear what he says to me. Christian, this evening, let's think about this for a moment. Sometimes we speak very rashly with our mouths and make great swelling promises before God and to God. And yet in the midst of all of this, we tend to look at things and to find that we don't really mean what we say. Someone once says a man's word A man's bond is as good as his word. Can I uh, say to you this evening that maybe that's not a very good saying because many men, their bond isn't up to much because their word isn't up to much. And men are rash and hasty for how they will reply to the Lord and promise things and 
and say, Lord, we'll serve you. We'll do anything, Lord. Speak to me. And when God speaks to you, suddenly then we get that touch and that blessing where we start to break or to melt before him and we're overwhelmed by his love and to think that he would come and speak directly to me, how blessed I am. But surely, suddenly that seems to dissipate and to, to, to drift off and to leak out of us where no longer is our hearts fully in love with Christ. Maybe we've made great promises to him and we have broken it. We have vowed a vow and we have deferred to pay it. Here the prophet says, I will watch what I say when I hear his word to me. And I'll listen carefully. You see, the word of God is not to be taken lightly. And the word of God is not to be taken in a sense of a through other manner, but the word of God is serious about things. The word of God is quick and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And the word of God is forever settled in heaven and the word of God will outlast this very planet itself. You see, Habakkuk says, I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Habakkuk, what if God says something to you which you don't like? I'll still watch how I speak back to him. Habakkuk, what if God shows you something in your life and demands it from you? And you promise him it? Well, no, I'll watch what I say unto him. Habakkuk, what if God demands of you full surrender? You promise him it in your haste and you repent at your leisure. Do you not know that to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams? And to say, Lord, I will do that which I have said and I will pay my vows now in the presence of his people or his congregation as, as the psalmist said in Psalm 116. In other words, I have made a vow and I will not defer to pay it. Lord, I said I will serve you all my days if you save me. I said, Lord, I'll do this if you, if you had brought me out of a situation. But now I've answered with my mouth, but now I've started to back off. Habakkuk, what if the Lord rebukes you for something you've said or done or something you haven't said or done, then I will watch to see how I will answer him. Watch out, brother. Watch out, sister. For God is speaking to you now how we answer him. For he will require that from us. Habakkuk, what if God speaks to you about how you've been living, the things you've been saying? What if God speaks to you about your lack toward him, a lack of devotion, neglecting your time before him, time of reading, time of prayer, time of worship and loving the Lord Jesus? What if God brings this to your memory? And what if God flashes this before your eyes? What about this, Habakkuk? He says, well, I'll lean in and I'll listen, and I'll listen carefully. Now watch how I answer him. What if it cuts deep? What if the Lord says you need a renewing of your mind? Repentance is the renewing of the mind. Repentance is a washing the mind by the water of the word. Repentance is when we see 
our need and we realize our wrongdoing. It's whenever we see where we are before him and realize our promises where we have failed and our, our, our very faithfulness toward him has waned and no longer do we have that burning heart's desire to serve him and to pant after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And the very, the very desire to drink deep at the fountain of water has now, it's gone. We don't have that anymore. And, and the Lord will say to you, well, what about this? I'll watch and see how I shall answer him. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 31. There's a little verse there. It's a little golden nugget. Proverbs 15 and 31 says, The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. Notice this. The ear that hears the reproof of life, God is not condemning you. This is not a word of condemnation. This is a reproof of life. This is a shepherd's crook, not the shepherd's rod. The reproof of life is to draw you back closer to him because in our own nature and in our own ways and in our busyness of life, we drift so far away from him to the point where sometimes we're totally lost in how to get back again. And the reproof of life is when God comes and speaks into us and we need to incline, we need to bend forward, we need to pay attention very carefully because he calls us. Listen, folks, the Spirit spoke here a couple of weeks ago and says that you're to repair an altar and place the sacrifice upon it, the sacrifice of self. And he says, and I will send the fire. You want revival? Get on the altar. It's not going to start out there. It starts in here. Revival starts in this heart and in yours. Revival starts whenever we put all the things that we hold dear and all those things that hold us back and the things that keep us away from God and His service and His love for Him, our love for Him and from His house. We need to get them out of our lives and we need to say, Lord, it's you and me now. Start the revival in this heart. Casting away the old man and the old woman. Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Replace the lamp of my first love that burned with holy fear. Notice this. The ear that heareth the reproof of life, it's not condemnation, but it's for life. It's actual blessing. And when God comes to us sometimes and, and lays something on us and we feel maybe whether it's under a conviction or whether we feel under a compulsion or compelling, but nevertheless, we feel it. God's saying, if you give it to me, I have so much more for you. See, he's no man's debtor. And he's so much for us if we would lay it all down. Here, this reproof of life causes us to abide among the ways. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. 
For God is in heaven and I upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. That doesn't mean he doesn't want you to come and seek his face and pray. He wants you to pour out your heart before him. He's not in the business of casting you away and tearing you down. He's not in the business of of condemning you. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation on you. But because he loves you and because of his grace for you, he says, come to me. I have so much more to give you. There's an anointing to be had if you want it. Sure, we're all anointed, yeah. Those who are in Christ were anointed, but I want to tell you, from my experience, the sacrificed life will see an increase in the anointing of God. Do you want it? Do you want it? Habakkuk says, I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved of him. What has the Lord been saying to you this last while back? What has he been saying in recent days, months, weeks, or minutes? What has he led on you, told you to do? How will you answer him? I want to look at a few of different parts of Scripture about watching out, staying alert, staying awake, staying in communion and touch with God. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 26, please. Matthew's Gospel chapter 26. The Lord Jesus in this chapter is in Gethsemane. And just let your eye run down, but keep the chapter open to verse 41. He said to his disciples, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Christian, do you know why you become lethargic in Christ? Because you haven't watched out. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. He says, you see, the Lord Jesus says to his own, to his own disciples that you enter not into temptation, being alert, staying awake, being on guard, leaning in and being circumspect in our walk with Christ, in our walk with the Lord Jesus watching that we don't slip and watching that we don't fall and watching that we don't fail in many things and and keeping our eyes on him, watching our lifestyle and watching what we do and watching how we speak with our tongue and watching what we say to others and watching how we treat people and watching, watching and watching because outside of that, I'm praying, then we fall into temptation. Temptation to destroy others and temptation to weaken things and temptation to go out there and and to forsake the assembling of of ourselves together. And the temptation comes. Oh, the Spirit says, I will do it. I will go. I will be there. I'll turn up. The flesh then says, come five in the afternoon. Ah, sit in. 
don't need to go. Don't go and pray tonight. Don't go seek God's face. Don't go into your closet. And the temptation is too much. Jesus says, watch and pray. Do you enter not into temptation? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The word here, as I said, for watch is to be awake, keep awake, stay awake, to be circumspect, and to walk like that. In Matthew chapter 26, notice the Lord Jesus. We want you to see why he was saying this also. For the enemy was coming. Judas and the temple guard are coming to arrest him. The devil had entered in. And now it was coming close to the time. If you go to Matthew 26 and verse 38. Lord, it says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Keep awake. Be awake. Stay alert. Be circumspect. Because the enemy's at the door. Because the enemy's coming into the garden. Because the enemy's going to come and arrest us. He says, stay awake and pray. Oh, sure, Jesus, we know all about it. Guys, we're tired. The flesh, it's weak. We want to, Lord, but we're, we want to sleep. Wake up, O oh sleeper, and rise from the dead. Christ shall give you life. Here he says, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Do you know every time you get on your knees or you're standing or you're out walking a field or wherever you are and you're having communion and fellowship with God, you're not on your own? Do you know that he's standing in the glory and he's standing there as our great high priest that he's interceding for us? He's our great advocate above that he's the mediator between God and man. And when you're praying, he's praying that you're not on your own praying. You know, one person could have a prayer meeting. You know why? Because it's you and Jesus. I'm on my own. No, you're not. Christ is praying for you and Christ is praying with you. He says, watch and pray with me. In Matthew 26 and verse 38, also in Mark 14 and 34 the word's exceedingly sorrowful. Notice what he says. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And there's two words here for exceeding sorrowful. And it's, a, it's one word is perilupos, but it's made of two words. Peri, which means around, and lupos, which means grief. One means around and one means grief. And this is what our Savior, this is what our Master was saying. Listen, it means that Grief enveloped Jesus and totally surrounded him in the garden. Grief saturated the consciousness of Christ. And even saturated him, even unto death, or what we read is, this grief is saturating me that I am going to die. Our blessed Lord. I'm going to die. He had to make the cross. And he says, watch and pray. Watch with me. Watch out. The devil's coming. 
Watch out, the enemy is coming across the Kidron Valley. The enemy is crossing the brook and he's coming in the gate. Watch out, boys, watch out. Christian, you are victorious in Christ. But watch out. Be awake. Keep alert. For the enemy would love to have you. He was saturated with grief, even to the point of death. And although he knew his destiny, and although he would and did freely offer himself as our sin bearer, although he knew that in order to save the lost and to pay their ransom, to redeem them and to pay all of our debt, to satisfy the wrath of a holy God and to justify many and bringing many sons to glory, he must go to the cross. He must give his life. He must be our substitute. He must die that we might live. The sinless one, the sinless son must become sin for us. The living one, the self-existing one, the giver of life, the light of life, the prince of life, the author of life, the source of life must taste death for every man if you and I are going to enter his eternal kingdom in heaven. And he turns around and he says, watch out boys and pray. The spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak, Christian. Your flesh is weak. Flesh is weak. Oh, sleeping church will make no ground for Christ. Sleeping church will make no ground for the kingdom. But a church that is alert, that watches out, or a church that prays, will make ground for the glory of God. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Here, the Lord is speaking here in human terms of his human soul. Remember, he's God and he's man. And he's speaking off, he says, it gives the idea, my soul is so encompassed that it's brought me into a new experience I've never experienced before. Hebrews 5 and 8 says, though he were a son yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Calvary, the cross, our sin, our shame, our sorrows, our sicknesses upon him and all of its terrors exceeded his anticipations. He had never known a break in fellowship with his father. He had never known what sin was like, what sickness was like. He had never known it, and he took it for the whole world upon himself. He says, I am saturated with grief right to my very being and my consciousness. Watch out, the enemy's at the gate. Christian, here's a warning for us all. 
Let us watch our walk, our testimony. Let us walk how we are, watch how we are before Almighty God and before man. Because there's nothing more the enemy would love. It's to point the finger and try to bind you. But when you walk in Christ, you're in liberty. You're set free. There's no hold on you. Listen, when the devil comes to you or the enemy comes to you, it's as simple as this. He has no hold on the redeemed. His curse has been broken. The chains have fallen off. He has no right, no authority, no power, and no privilege upon a child of God because you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and you are free, for he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You're free tonight. Don't go into bondage. That is the bondage of man's religion. Are the bondage of the devil. You are more than a conqueror through him that loved you. Let us watch out and let us pray. Calvary, the cross, and our sin, and all its terrors exceeded his anticipations. And it also gives the idea of an overpowering mental distress that comes upon our Savior. Does this not show you? Does this not show you that he came to make sure everything was encompassed, that he would take it from us and bear it in himself, that we could be free from it? Can you imagine the man and the woman outside of Christ who die in that state? And if this is he in the garden, the sinless son, and the father must turn away from him on the cross, can you imagine how a man and a woman expect dying outside of Christ to enter into the heaven of God? There's no chance. Mark 14 and 33, it says, He began to be sore amazed and very heavy. Sore amazed and very heavy. And the term here, sore amazed, means to be thrown into an amazement and to be thrown into a terror to alarm thoroughly. Listen, we're speaking of the Son of God here. Suddenly this comes upon him and he's thrown into an amazement. He had never experienced this before. A terror comes upon him that he had never experienced before. He enters into a new realm and a new experience as a man that he never knew before. See, he was sinless and he was harmless and he was holy and he was undefiled and he was separate from sinners. He knew no sin. He did no sin. He was yet without sin. But he took my sin and he took your sin that you and I might be free of our sin. Wonderful Savior. Glorious Lord. Blessed Redeemer. Praise his holy name. Here, it means to alarm thoroughly. Imagine Jesus being alarmed. It alarmed him as a man thoroughly. He became so amazed and very heavy. The word very heavy means he became so uncomfortable. It speaks of one who is not familiar with the experience they have been thrown into. Christ was so 
unfamiliar with this experience which has come upon him in Gethsemane, that he is not at home with this experience whatsoever because of his holiness and his beauty. He's not at rest and it distresses him. It distresses him badly. He says, boys, watch out. I'm burying this for you, but I need you to watch and pray with me for an hour. Too tired, Lord. Too tired. Christian, think the next time. Watch out how we answer him. I'm too tired, Lord. Lord, I bore this for you. I went to the grave for you. I rose from the dead for you. I'm ascended into heaven and interceding for you. I'm coming for you. And you're too tired. You're too busy. You're too weak. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Seed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Watch out how we answer him. The last lesson of obedience, this last lesson of obedience for the Son of God was one of inconceivable awe. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. The awe of it. It gives the idea, it says, he falls on his face in the garden. The idea there, the improper verb, know what it means? He falls, and the way he gets up, and he is exhausted, and he falls, and he gets up, and he falls again, and he gets up, and he falls again, and he gets up struggling, and he falls again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And he says, watch and pray. Would you watch with me for one hour? Peter, James, John, come on boys. Will you give yourselves a shake? And will you get up and doing for me? Because the devil's at the gate. Luke chapter 18 in verses 18 to 27, we have a, a certain ruler who comes to the Lord Jesus. And he asks him a question. He says, it says, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I notice there's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. Absolutely nothing. It's by grace you're saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we could do. But the Lord does mention some of the commandments, and he says, I've kept those, all these have I kept from my youth up. What yet do I lack? You see, already he's fallen at the first hurdle. He's full of pride and arrogance, and he says, I've kept them. No, he hasn't kept them. He's failed at them. He's trying by his works and his efforts and his deeds. And the Lord tells him, he says to go and sell all that you have, give it, to the, uh, give it to the poor, and come take up your cross, and if you follow me, you'll have inherited eternal life. 
Luke 18, 23, listen to what it says. And when he, this young ruler, when this certain ruler heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was rich. (laughs) He was very sorrowful, for he was rich. It's the exact same term for when Christ was in the garden. This ruler had so much comfort. God had blessed him with so much uh, goods and, and with so much money and with so many riches that he was lying in his laurels. And then the Jews, then they thought, well, if you're rich, you have to be blessed of God. So you're saved, he says. Lord, surely this man with all this money saved. The blessing on him. I'm not saying God doesn't bless you like that now. The Lord says, no. No. And the idea here is that this man is very sorrowful for he was rich. It means he fell into a shock. He fell into a horror. He fell into awe. He fell into an alarm of losing his riches and it almost killed him. He nearly took a heart attack. He nearly took a heart attack. Oh, here, you know, let's all just come to Jesus now. Sure, just come as you are, but never change. There's no f- repentance and there's no changing of a life and there's no going on with God. Just, you know, just, just come on, sure. The man is up around the front. 400, they're all saved. Christ demanded that he give us all, that he repented and he followed him. But notice this. What Christ had demanded from him was a test to see if he would. Give it away. Give it to the poor. Take your cross. Come follow me. And he near had a heart attack. Hold on a minute, Jesus. I want to go to heaven, but you know, I don't want to go out much. Look what I've got now. You know what he was like? He was like Esau. He sold his birthright for a pot of soup. For the here and now. To feed the flesh that's weak. Hold on, Jesus. Come on, brothers and sisters, let's be honest with each other. How many times has God laid something on you? How many times has God said to you, you know, you should be gathering with us people? How many times has God said, be at the place of prayer? How many times has God said to you, come on, get up and doing. Get up for me and get doing. How many times has God called you and says, build the altar and lay yourself as a sacrifice upon it. And you went, hold on a minute, Lord. It might cost something. And you near have a heart attack. What? I prayed for a lot of years. Lord, use me. Use me, Lord. I don't care what you use me in. Do with me what you will, Lord. I'll go anywhere for you. And I got a call to go to Romania and went, Lord, can you send me somewhere else because I don't really fancy that. (laughs) You know what? We had to go. We just had a house. We just had a house fully furnished and refurbished the whole way through no interest, very small mortgage, and we just give it away. 
give all our furniture away. We'll give our car away. Give it away. See how much you trust me now. Brother, you listening? Sister, give it to him. See how much you trust him. Oh, the rubber hits the road, doesn't it? It cuts deep. I watch to see what he will say unto me and how I will answer why I'm reproved him. Uh, the word there, by the way, that Habakkuk uses for reproved is the word tokakra. And it gives the idea, it can be a, a, a chastisement, a rebuke. It can give the idea of a judgment upon him, but it gives the idea of the Lord speaking in order to straighten him up and to bring him further on. This young man almost had a heart attack when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful. He said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? He didn't say because you're rich you can't be saved. He didn't say if you're rich you're not saved. He just says because we have other idols and other gods and other comforts in our life. Brother, sister, listen to me carefully. Listen to the word of the Lord carefully. What is it in our lives that's keeping you from going on in God? I've got this and I've that to do and I've the other thing to do. Throw it out. Put it by. Set it down. Follow him. (gasps) Heart attack. But I love that. Do you? More than him. More than Christ. It's a challenge, isn't it? I'm going to finish here and maybe do one more week on this. Because I'm only getting my teeth into it. Is anybody a tissue? You give me the sweats lashing out of me here. It's my second shirt I've ruined today. <laughs> Matthew chapter 26. Thank you, Lord. Bless you. It's a nice wee flurry one, Lord. <laughs> is there perfume in this before I wipe myself, is there? Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, brother, sister, the flesh will desire this world and its loves and its lusts, its pleasures and its comforts, its attractions and its vice. The flesh is nothing but death. Your flesh has no notion of God. It's just dead. It's redeemed if you're in Christ, waiting for a change. But your flesh is just dead. It will keep you from the prayer closet. It will keep you from devotional time with God. It will keep you from service and sacrifice. It will keep you from the house of God. And even someone once said recently, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And that's true, you don't. Because we are the church. This isn't the church. We are the church. And that's true, you don't. And you know, you don't need to gather together. Well, you know, the Word of God says you do. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together is the manner of some, as it says. And do you know what it means? If you read that in the Greek New Testament, stop letting down your brothers and sisters when they're in the house of God. That's what it means. Yes, the flesh will keep you away from service and sacrifice, and the flesh. It feasts rather than fasts. 
takes the man of the Spirit and the woman of the Spirit to say, I'm going on a fast. I'm going to watch. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. Fasting doesn't make you any more holy. It just helps you to kick the dirt out of your life to concentrate on him. That's all it does. Because your flesh will feast rather than fast. So, we'll stop there tonight. We'll stop there tonight.